to tell you the truth, at the moment we're we're very we're struggling a lot. Like my father's 73 years of age. Um, he still comes out scholar fishing with me on the vessel because we cannot find crew to work on the boats. Daddy Lennon has spent quite a lot of time talking about seafood in Port Phillip Bay. We devoted a series to the topic around the same time that the sardine net fishing uh, net fishery was banned. Today, we are going to touch back on that topic and others to do with wild-caught Australian seafood. We're talking to John Anastos from Anastos Fisheries based down in Geelong. Welcome, John. So great to have you on the show. Yes, good evening, Danny. How are you? Yeah, I'm I'm really good and really happy to be talking to you. I, I reckon let's start by just give us a little outline of your business. Okay, so we're a fish and family business um, called the Nastos Fisheries. We've got our own processing factory in Geelong and our own uh, fishing vessel, which catch scallops in Bass Strait, um, squid in Bass Strait, and also um, occasionally do go up to Lakes Entrance and catch um, Lakes Entrance king prawns. And, I mean, what's the heritage of this business? So the heritage goes back to my father when he um, originated from Greece back in 1955. Uh, back in 1967 when he started scholar fishing in Port Phillip Bay. Um, and, yeah, and then ever since that, uh, the business has grown. Uh, they, they ended up getting an export establishment in Geelong also and they used to export 20 tonnes of raw material to France weekly of Bass Strait scallops and mainly Port Phillip Bay scallops. And and then I came along, finished school um, at the age of 18 and started into the business with Dad. What do you love about what you do? Oh, just being out at sea, being your own boss, fresh air. Uh, you can't sort of compare. It's... um. I feel like this might be opening a real can of worms, but what do you think are the biggest issues for you as a as a fisherman at the moment? Well, the biggest issues with us at the moment is we don't know where we sort of stand with our job. Like, um, I think I think the government uh, used fishermen to target them for votes. Say a bit more about that. Well, it all started back in '96 when my father was scholar fishing in Port Phillip Bay. Um, as I said, they had an establishment in Geelong. They used to employ up to 50 shuckers. Um, they used to work five days a week in Port Phillip Bay, catching scallops, which are the best scallops in the world. They used to export it to France and many other countries. And then all of a sudden, the government turned around and uh, seized Port Phillip, uh, scallop fishing in Port Phillip Bay. So... Let's talk about the politics about it, it around that in a minute, but uh, let's just cover something else because I don't I don't know much about fishing, but what I've heard about the scallop fishing in Port Phillip Bay is that it is that there was environmental degradation that these boats trawled scraped the bottom of the of the bay and that that had a lot to do with why that fishery was banned. So, what's your perspective on that? Well, my perspective on that is that the Marine Science Lab from Queenscliff back in the day. They had a designated area in front of St. Leonard's and they had a look to see what damage the actual scholar vessels did do in Port Phillip Bay. They got divers down in the seafloor and they buried rings in the seafloor from one inch, two inch, three inch to four inch. They got the scholar boats to work up and down that area all day and they caught minimal rings in the sea, in the scallop harvester. The only damage that a scallop harvester did do in Port Phillip Bay is when it does blow in the bay 30, 40 knots of wind 
and the turbulence on the bottom, and then everything goes back to normal in about a day. So the, the, the same method we use still to this day in Bass Strait, uh, Victorian coastal waters and Tasmanian coastal waters, same technique. So if we do do damage in the bay, why are we still using the same technique out in Bass Strait? I believe it was all political just to get votes. And t- what do you mean getting votes? Like how would you get votes by banning scallop fishing? Well, it was always the thing with the scholar fishermen, with a recreational fisherman and Rex Hunt. Rex Hunt got together with Jeff Kennett back in the day and and it all worked to plan. They did uh, seize port, uh, scholar fishing in Port Phillip Bay. And, yeah, that's what I can... Um, and that's what happened, the same thing with the sardines in Port Phillip Bay. What, what was... Um the impacts, whether it's on your family or other other families that you know that were involved in the scallop fishery, John. Like what after that after that was banned, that 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 business was taken away. What what was it like for those people? Well, it was like how can I say, someone knocking on your door and saying, "Here's a allows you one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Get out of your house. We want your house." That's what happened with people's businesses. They got given allows you one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Their boats were devalueless after their licenses got taken off them. They were worth next to nothing. There was people that just done scholar fishing in Port Phillip Bay. They lost their houses. They families got into depression. There was a lot of things, but it was all covered up. Nothing was ever exposed to what they did to all these fishing families that lost everything. One of the things that came out of you know my podcasts around the sardine fishery was that. The fishers weren't really used to taking those battles on. They weren't really used to, you know, working as a collective and fighting for what they believed in. Was it a similar situation with the scallop fishing? I mean, did your did your dad, for example, like take any action? Well, my dad did take some action with a handful of other fishermen. Look, majority of the fishermen took the money because back then there was – some of them had, were doing it very tough and they took the money just to get out of hardship. But my dad went along with a few other people. They did go to court about it. The government did turn around back then and tell them every fisherman has to be paid out accordingly to what they have and what they've got. And they did go to the high court, but in about five minutes it just went out the window. It must have been a big deal for your dad. You know, as you say, he came from came from Greece at a young age, you know, built his, built his business up as a sole trader. That must have been a really big deal for him to go to the high court. Yes, it was. And he was very angry and how can I say, it's still to this day, he still hasn't gotten over it. As we were working in Port Phillip Bay catching sardines, we used to catch them in the net every now and again, the scallops, and he used to just didn't want to look at them. That's how angry he would get and upset. What's a, what's a Port Phillip um, scallop like? People say they're the best in the world. I mean, what's so good about them? Well, they are. They're nice and sweet, um, nice and plump and sweet. And the Frenchies did always used to say Port Phillip Bay scallops are the best scallops in the world. And now these scallops are just sitting in the bay and just going to waste. It's just the resource there just sitting there where it could be another, it could be a viable fishery as it was where we could create more jobs on land and out on the bay as well with a lot of boats and a lot of uh, factories again processing again. I'm not saying to have as many boats as we did have back then, but to have a nice boutique fishery.
And so your family got into sardines as well, right? Yes, they did. Dad had a, a sardine license from the 70s, which he used to uh, use. Um, it was all seasonal for him. So when he wasn't scalloping in the summer months, he'd change over the gear and used to ch- chase after sardines. Uh, back then it was mainly for human consumption and for pet food. Um, and then after the kill back in 95, when they imported sardines from America to feed the tuna farms in Port Lincoln. Now, when they put these sardines in the waters in Port Lincoln to feed the tuna farms, a virus came alive which killed our local sardine fishery all over Australia. And then, and there was about, there was no sardines available for about 10 to 15 years. Now, the government knew all about this, but again, they kept it quiet. So the sardine stock slowly built up and you, your family was able to fish them in the bay. What about when, you know, it must have been like history repeating itself when you heard that the sardine fishery was going to be closed as well? Yes, it was, um, it was very devastating. Like uh, we decided to come back sardine fishing like I was fishing off Lake Centrance catching prawns and we decided I wanted to be home every night and we thought we'd give the sardines a go when they'd start up again and see numbers coming back in the bay. So we started doing that. It was pretty good. We'd leave Geelong at 6 in the afternoon, be back in at midnight, unload, and they'd be in the Melbourne fish market by 2, 3 in the morning. And then after about five five years, the government decided to ban netting in Port Phillip Bay. And what was that like for you? Well, it was uh, devastating because I didn't sort of know what else to do. Like it was just, yeah, it was just another kick in the guts. I mean, if, you know, for people who don't know, and I include myself among among them, you know, can you just talk a bit about the the specific boats, like the fact that you, the gear, you can't just swap from one thing to another, you know, um, overnight. Like this is quite specific gear for catching specific fish in specific places. No, you have to spend money and that's where we came in and, we were catching sardines in Port Phillip Bay and we had to spend a lot of money to diversify again to set the boat up to catch sardines. And then all of a sudden, five years later, the government's banned sardine fishing in Port Phillip Bay. And again, you know, what's, what do you think the reason is behind that? Well, all, all got to do with votes again. It's, it's all got to do with votes. The government used the fishermen as for votes. Like it's all, and it's all government revenue, like fishing licenses. They make money from fishing licenses. They make money from uh, trailer boat registrations. They make money from everything got to do with recreationals, but they haven't got with, with when they look at 40, 40 commercial uh, net fishermen in Port Phillip Bay. Well, where, where are they going to get more votes from? 40 net fishermen in Port Phillip Bay or target 1 million recreationals in Port Phillip Bay? So what do you, I mean, what do you think the solution is if there is one? Solution is, is give, give, fishermen, give fishermen back their licences because the resource is there for everyone to catch. Not everyone has a rod or a boat and goes down and catches their fish. We have people coming into our factory. We've got a little retail section at Anastos Fisheries. We sell all Australian, all local seafood, nothing farm. We come in and until uh, the last uh, sardine fisherman, which was Phil McAdam, catching sardines, we had sardines, we're still selling them out of our display cabinet. And I've got people coming in there and telling me, oh, we want Port Phillip Bay sardines. I said, well, you can't get Port Phillip Bay sardines anymore. And they said, why not? It's just in our doorstep. I said, well, you can thank the government for that because they've seized netting in Port Phillip Bay.
And what about the sardines that are coming from elsewhere? What are they like? Well, the sardines that do come from Lake Centrum, it's not always a consistent supply and the freshness isn't the same to a Port Phillip Bay sardine. So by the time a Lake Centrum sardine hits the market floor, it might be one, one, one and a half days. We're in Port Phillip Bay. They were hitting the market floor within about two to three hours when they were caught. Mm. And that makes quite a difference with a sardine, do you reckon? Of course, with the texture, the flavour, with everything. And, of course, like even like sometimes you get do to get the Lake Centrum sardines that come in and it's just they're not the same in the like the guts might burst. They just don't last longer in the cabinet. And I know that you're, you know, you speak with a lot of passion about Australian seafood, about wild caught seafood, about not not selling farmed seafood. I mean, is this a conversation that you have over and over again with consumers? I mean, do you feel like awareness around the, I guess, the privilege of having local wild caught seafood needs to be, you know, something that people latch onto more? Yes. Well, I always have that discussion. I actually explain to people about farm fish how actually not good it is for your health. And I do extend a lot of people don't know. We've got the best seafood in the world wild caught all around Australia. But then we've got the government shutting down all areas. It's like the government's actually doing it on purpose to import seafood from overseas. Because, yeah, around I think around 70% of the seafood that's eaten in Australia is imported, which does seem a little bit askew when you consider um, that we're an island with such incredible local fisheries. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're, we're islands surrounded by crystal clear waters, probably the best seafood in the world. Um, and then they import, uh, like they import some uh, seafood products from overseas like bassa fillets or pr- farm tiger, uh, farm prawns that come from sewer farms. Like, and people don't know. People don't know what they're eating. And that's why we thought when we opened up Anastos Fisheries, we were only going to sell Australian wild-caught seafood to support local fishermen. And more and more people have got health problems that are coming in and I'm act- and we actually sit there and explain to them what seafood to eat or what seafood not to eat. John, how's the, you know, how are the other parts of your business going? Like how are you going, let's say, finding people to work on the boats? Well, to tell you the truth, at the moment we're, we're very, we're struggling a lot. Like my father's 73 years of age. Um, he still comes out scholar fishing with me on the vessel because we cannot find crew to work on the boats. Um, We've even got the same problem in our factory for uh, shuckers to shuck our scallops. The demand, like how can I say, there's no, we are struggling and it's like, it makes me think every day what's going to happen five to ten years down the track. Is there going to be a fishery? What do you think? I mean, why are you having trouble finding staff? Is it it that I mean, is it that internationals that were here before aren't here? Is it that, you know, school leavers don't see it as a viable profession? What do you think it is? I think uh, school leavers don't see it as a viable profession. When you've got the government dictating you when when to go fishing, what to catch, um, it's not – sometimes it isn't viable. Like even the crew on the boats, like we can only work so many months of the years where back in the day when Port Fuller Bay was open, the boats used to work five days a week. And there was there was there was work for everyone. There was work for the boats. There was work in the factories. It was a it was a growing it was a big big growing business all over Geelong and Melbourne. And and now these days, like we only work certain months of the years catching scallops because we don't also get the weather out in Bass Strait. 
and people just don't want to do it. Yeah, so I guess if you can't, if there's a job that's seasonal, then that's not going to work for everybody, or it's not their sort of vision of their of their career. But I mean, do you do you accept that there that there should be quotas for you know fishing in certain places at certain times? It can't it can't just be open slatter. No, yeah, I agree. There, there, there is. I agree with quotas. There should be all. And Australia has got all quota. They're all quota managed fisheries, and that's the thing that I didn't understand with a netting in Port Phillip Bay. Like it was all sustainable. The Greens were with us. Now, what, what else did, what else didn't the government? You know, like as you see, the government just done it for votes. When you've got the Greens with you, and they say it is sustainable, well, what else do we need? So there's a state election in Victoria in November. I think the Liberals are now lining up with the Greens saying that the sardine fishery should be reinstated in Port Phillip Bay. So perhaps there is a little bit of, um, there's, there is perhaps an opening there because, I, you know, you mentioned Jeff Kennett, so Liberal Premier, obviously we've got a Labor Premier, Dan Andrews at the moment, uh, that's gone ahead with his Target 1 million program. Um it's yeah, perhaps that perhaps there is a way to um, yeah at least open the discussion. Well, yes or no. Like back in the day when they started their rallies, uh, Dave Kramer was one of them at the rallies, and he he didn't he wanted all the net fishing seized in Port Phillip Bay, and now he's turning around and saying all of a sudden, oh, we we want Port Phillip Bay sardines. Well, it's too late, Dave. You were at the rallies and you were the one pushing for this. So they can seize netting in Port Phillip Bay. And now all of a sudden you want Port Phillip Bay sardines. Why? What's wrong with your imported, imported bait? And that's where the government as well stepped in and, yeah. So really, Liberal Labor, time will tell what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, you know, you're running a business day to day. It must be, um, well, I mean, I can hear and you've spoken about it very openly. It's, it must be a tricky way to, to run a business, especially to think about, you know, the sustainability of that business for decades into the future. Well, it is hard because from like when we had the other business, when my father started Coastal Seafoods back in the 70s, employing that many uh, people working in the factory, we had to shut that business, resell, um, I went fishing with my father and then we had to start back from scratch. Now, we've had this company now for about three years, uh, Nastos Fisheries. Now, at the moment, we do struggle with uh, factory workers, uh, people working on the boats, and it's just sort of um, makes me think what to do next. Like there's no, how can I say, there's no government support about the workers. They're just not doing anything about it. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see if anything changes over the coming months and, and years, John, for you and your, yeah, your father. I mean, how does he enjoy going out on the scallop boat these days? Look, he enjoys it. Um, he comes out with me and he still puts the young guns to shame. <laughs> and he's 73 years of age. He's still got, he's still got a bit of uh, a few more years into him. But, yeah, it's, um, he gets frustrated too because he, he always tells me, once I retire, who's going to be coming out here with you when no one wants to do it? And that's the big issue now, like scallop, the scallop season for Victoria is open. Now, they're going to be probably ready to start harvesting within another month. Now, at the moment, we haven't got – I haven't teed up any crew yet because I can't find any crew. And we're in a process now to make a tumbler conveyor system 
just to make life easier so I can actually get anyone off the street to come out and give it a go. So that takes some of the sort of skill element out of it. It's a, just a bit more like anyone could walk in and, and give you a hand and be of some use. Exactly, yes, but it makes you also spend more money into your business. It's a really tricky position, isn't it? I guess there are all kinds of businesses that are looking at technologies to, I guess, uh, augment or replace staff. I mean, restaurants are certainly doing it with various technologies in terms of ordering and payment. But I, I guess, you know, with a premium product like a scallop, you, you, I, I have the feeling that, you know, you, you'd love to have that, that personal touch, that expertise and oversight over every, every beautiful shellfish. Yeah, it's just like, it's just getting hard everywhere. Like I speak to people that have got cafes, restaurants, everyone's struggling for workers at the moment. Yeah, they are. Um, well, let's let's change it up and be a little bit positive and talk about scallops. Yeah, okay, like, yeah. How do, you, how do you love to eat scallops? How do you love to cook and serve them? Well, I really love to eat scallops. As soon as I catch, I catch them, I, open, I shuck one open and have it raw. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> You can't, you can't beat it like it. We, um, yeah. So even on the barbecue, even in a mar- in a pasta, pasta, you can't beat them. Do you love just like putting the shells on the barbecue and they open up like that? Yes, we do. As we do that as well, we do a half shell scallop too. And the best thing about our scallops too, we do not add any water. We do not add any water or any chemicals to widen them. Same with our squid that we process. We process bass straight squid in our factory into squid tubes, and we've also got a pineapple cut machine. We do not add any hidden, hidden nasty chemicals or water. Everything's all natural as it comes out of the ocean. Right. So is that what, I mean, I don't know much about that. Is that what people are doing to, to calamari and scallops? They're pumping them up and they're dyeing them? Well, there is um, many ways you can make, uh, you, can, you can pump a scallop up. A scallop can take up to 70% of water. So the more weight, the more weight processes do get, the more money they make. But then it's the consumer that battles cooking them because <laughs> they just start spinning mm. in your face, and all the water content starts coming out. And also, you can put an actual, you can turn a pink squid when you process it into white by just by adding a chemical. Right. Well, it's yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you guys don't do that. It sounds yuck. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, that's, um, yes, so that's what one thing we do. And the pineapple cut machine—that's like the crosshatch um, scoring, is it? Yes, it's like when you go when you go to a restaurant and you order your salt and pepper squid. So we've got an actual machine yeah, that actually uh, scores it, and we do supply um, restaurants locally in Geelong and the Surf Coast, and a few uh, fish and chip takeaway shops too. Nice. I'll look out for those. Um, John, thank you so much for talking us through your business today and the issues surrounding it. It's, um, you know, I, I think we're so lucky to be able to get local wild-caught seafood, not as much as we used to. It's certainly those fisheries are, have been closed. Some, are, some feel like they're under threat. And, yeah, it's a, it's a concerning situation, especially when they are caught sustainably. Um, I, don't, I think when we prize local food in, in Australia, I don't know why we don't fight harder for it. But, yeah, thanks for fighting the good fight. No worries. Thank you, Danny. Thank you for your time and um, thank you for shedding the light. Thank you. No worries. Much. All right, take care. Good luck with scallop season. Thank you. Have a good day. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. 
we air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.